Okay, welcome to episode uh, 23 of the um, Edgar Rice Burroughs podcast, where we celebrate the work of the greatest storyteller of the 20th century by talking about and analyzing his novels. Um, my name is Tim DeForest. I am the author of several books about what I call pre-digital pop culture, about things like old-time radio, pulp magazines, newspaper comic strips and such. Um, and I keep a blog about such things at, co at comics, old-time radio, and other cool stuff. Um, and I'm being joined tonight by Jess and Scott. Um, Jess, uh, thanks for being here. Well, you're certainly welcome. Always my pleasure. Enjoy these discussions and sessions that we have. Uh, you all will find me at the Facebook discussion group, The Love of All Things Edgar Rice Burroughs, where we are talking Burroughs near 24-7. Love to have you join us on Facebook, The Love of All Things Edgar Rice Burroughs. Let me also note that I'm an advanced reader for uh, ERB Inc., uh, but any opinions that I offer here in this discussion or really any place are my own opinions. All right, go ahead. And I'm Scott Stewart. Uh, we uh, had a lot of enjoyment working on the first part of uh, The Eternal Savage and looking forward to doing the uh, uh, second half, uh, second part tonight. Yep. And we are talking about part two of um, of The Eternal Savage, um, uh, which was published. The second part was published in... 1915 in All Starry Magazine. It was serialized over four weeks in January and February of that year. Um, so it is a sequel to The Eternal Lover, um, which was published in 1914 and which we discussed last week. This second half was originally titled Sweetheart Primeval, uh, which and that the uh, the the reason for that title would become apparent as we're talking about the book. Uh, but they were combined into a book uh, first in 1925. Um, and then reprinted as all of Burroughs' books have been numerous times through the years, including a uh, um, a Ace paperback with an awesome cover by Frank Frazetta. I think I mentioned last time that that is my favorite, single favorite image inspired by this novel is the Frazetta cover. Um, and last week we ended with New, the caveman for, who had been in suspended animation for a hundred thousand years. And Victoria, who was the reincarnation of his uh, girlfriend, Nat L. Ull, from, uh, from the ancient times, were going off into the jungle together. Um, and we're going to be picking up right there. Um, and uh, with, chapter, with part two, chapter one of uh, The Eternal Savage, where um, Victoria is going into the jungle. He... She knows that her brother Barney is going to be following them, and she's still undecided whether to return to civilization or to follow uh, New, her love, into the jungle. Um, you know, New takes her back to the cave of O, or O-O, or O, uh, that's spelled O-O. It is the name of the saber-toothed tiger, the, they, their name for the saber-toothed tiger that was their uh, one of the most dangerous beasts that existed in their time 100,000 years ago. Um, and that he figures this is a good starting point to search for his tribe. He still really can't get the idea that his tribe existed 100,000 years ago through his head. Um, so they, they travel together for three days to get back to this cave, and they are uh, in the cave when that night an earthquake 
uh, strikes again. Um, so as with part one, part two begins with an earthquake at the end of the first chapter. Anu is knocked senseless and buried in the cave. And um, that is the end of the first chapter. Um, uh, I presume, actually I'd like, I wish I thought to look this up. I'm presuming that when this was published uh, about 10 months after part one, there was probably a little bit of a summary to remind readers of who these characters were and what the situation was before it dived into the into the uh, story itself. You know, perhaps a summary written by the magazine's um, by the magazine's editor or something, uh, because it is this. It does pick up with the presumption that the readers know what's going on. Um, any comments about chapter one from you guys? No. Okay. And point about the, some uh, bringing the reader up to date on prior information from the first part. I think it's a very good part, a, a very good point. Although I don't have anything here to confirm that I don't have the um, uh, first edition. I don't have the um, pulp version either. So I would suspect that's the case, but I cannot confirm. Yeah. Um, so with chapter two, we are suddenly back a hundred thousand years in time. Uh, with Nat Ull, who remember is Victoria's uh, is is Victoria before she reincarnated. Nat Ull has she lived a hundred thousand years ago, waking up in the cave with her family. You know her father's name is Tha, her brother is Ott, and her mother is Lu Tan. Um, and she remembers that um, uh, she remembers everything that had happened to Victoria or would happen to Victoria 100,000 years ago. Um, and when New wakes up, we're going to discover also, this will be next chapter, he's going to remember a lot of what happened in, in the future. Um, and we'll talk about this more when we finish summarizing the novel, but there's obviously you know, weird time travel shenanigans going on here, whether it's the cave that's the source of that, or whether it is psychic emanations going back and forth between different reincarnated versions of, of people or whatever's going on, they do remember what happened, but they just dismiss it as a weird dream. Um, we get a little bit of, of, of Nat L's home life at the cave. Uh, we do though that New has gone off to hunt the saber-toothed tiger to prove that he's worthy of her because he wants to marry her. She wants to marry him too, but um, um, he had not. She had urged him to go on this hunt, not really thinking that he would. Um, and now he's going to be like she's going to be worried that what about his safety. Um, and her father, in the meantime, is urging. It's gone to the chief uh, and urged them to relocate the tribe because there have been some earth tremors, and they're now worried about whether this is a safe place to be. Uh, various members of the tribe are arguing either for or against this. The chief is New's father, New the Elder, I guess is a good way to, to, to describe him. But he won't, he agrees to move the tribe, but not until his son comes back. Um, in the meantime, another member of the tribe named HUD uh, proposes to Nat L, and she spurns him. Uh, and because of this, she HUD kidnaps Nat L and carries her um, to a deserted cave away from the tribe. And the chapter ends 
with him blocking the entrance to this cave and then uh, going to take Natal in his arms. So this kind of parallels the end of, I think, chapter 12 from part one, where it ended with a villain kidnapping Victoria and then um, uh, uh, you know, grabbing her just as the chapter ends. Now we have HUD kidnapping Nat L, who is effectively the same person as Victoria. And uh, the chapter ends with him grabbing her. So no matter what era uh, Nat L lives in, she's got um, uh, nasty guys running after her. Um, any comments from you guys? I think you summarized it very well. And drawing that parallel to prior events, I think is, is important. History has a way of repeating itself. It does, doesn't it? Um, and I do yeah. like, I will say that I do like the little bit of domestic stuff with the, the, the um, Nat Ole and her family going about their regular business of getting water or what have you at the beginning of the day. It just gives the whole tribe a sense, a solid sense of realism that you can now think of these as real people in a real time and place because they're doing all the stuff that people have to do on a day-to-day -day basis in that situation. Um, chapter three, the action switches back to New, who has been, um, you know, um, he has been out hunting for the saber-toothed tiger. Um, and he had been high, he had in this reality or this time, uh, line or whatever, he hasn't found the saber-toothed tiger. Remember in chapter one, when he was still in this time period, he had found and killed it. Um, here, he hasn't found it yet, and he had hidden out in the cave um, while while the earthquake was going on. He has to dig himself out, and he still waits for the saber-toothed to come back. He won't go back to his tribe without the head of Uo, uh, the saber-toothed, for Nat all. Um, and while he's waiting, his dad and Natul's father Thaw arrive and tell New that the tribe is moving. So um, New says he'll wait a day to try and get the saber tooth, um, and then he'll follow the others back to the cave and he'll trail them to wherever their new location is. Um, so he continues to wait. Um, still, the saber tooth doesn't come back. Towards the end of the day, New kills a cave bear. Um, it just has, if he can't get a saber tooth, at least he can get a cave bear. And, and he takes the bear's hide and he had to give this to Natalie. Um, so he's basically thinking, I can't give my girlfriend the gift that she asked for. So maybe I can get her this slightly less cool thing and that'll be good enough. At uh, least he's not. At least he's not. I'm sorry, you, you faded out there for a moment, Jess. At least he's not empty handed. Yeah, that's true. It's better than nothing. So um, if you can't get your girlfriend's flowers, at least buy her a candy bar. So um, so he returns to the deserted cave, and he, he sleeps in his own deserted village. The tribe has moved on by now. He sleeps in his old cave, and he's planning on tracking them in the uh, down the next day. Uh, but meanwhile, back in the cave where HUD has Nat L a prisoner, um, he's taking in her arms, but she is very proactive, as the uh, female uh, females in a Burroughs story often are. They often act with bravery. She stabs him and gets away. And she returns to the old village. And New and Nat all do not realize that they are sleeping just a, in caves just a little ways away from each other. 
they don't encounter each other at this time. Um, so in the morning, New, not realizing he missed his chance to reconnect with Nadal, follows the tribe's trail to the north. Um, you know, later, Nadal wakes up, but New's already gone. And she decides, she, uh, because she didn't run into the tribe when she was coming back from the north, uh, because they had taken a slightly different route, she quite reasonably assumes that they've gone south. And she's incorrect in this, but her reasoning from what information she has is not unreasonable. It's um, uh, the, the, in no way it shows her to be stupid or thoughtless. She's thinking this out logically, but because she just doesn't have one bit of information that the tribe had taken a slightly different route than the one she would have expected, she, uh, she makes a wrong assumption. I do like the way Burroughs sets that up. It doesn't make Nadal look dumb. It just has her making a perfectly understandable mistake when she marches off in the wrong direction. And I do kind of enjoy the irony of the two, uh, the two of them sleeping so close, so close together without realizing the other was there. Ships that pass night. Yes, that's true. Um, any comments from you guys about these chapters, about, about chapter three? The the uh, pacing for part two, I thought, uh, was much more relaxed. I mean, things are happening, keeps mm -hmm. the interest, but it's, um, that's the right word, more relaxed pacing than uh, the uh, first part of the story was. Yeah, I think that's true. It's going to pick up really fast, but um, I think that's true. I think these, uh, not boring at all, still a great story, but probably a little bit slower pace than the uh, than the first part was at first. So, um, Chris, I, we, even within that context, Burroughs is doing some very effective world building here. Um, he gives, oh, he presents this tribe in a very believable and logical way very quickly. So he doesn't waste a lot of time in that. Um, chapter four, the boat builders. Um, Nat Ells, remember, she's going south. She's going in the wrong direction to reconnect with her tribe. And she runs into a tribe who are constructing wooden shelters and making boats by burning out the insides of tree trunks. Um, and uh, this is a completely new thing for her. Her people do not have boats, and they live in caves. They never build, build their own structures. So she's seeing something here that's completely different from anything else she's ever seen. Um, she's hiding and watching them, but one of the boat builders, whose name is Tur, T-U-R, sees her, desires her, and runs after her. Um, um, then, so we switch back at this point to New's point of view. So Burroughs, as he often so effectively does, leaves us with a cliffhanger regarding Nat Alls. She's being chased by another unwanted suitor. Um, he knew has overtaken his tribe. And he finds out that Nat Al is missing. Um, another guy in the tribe who also, uh, who's, who's jealous of New, uh, because New's you know, generally a pretty awesome guy, says that Nat Al went willingly with HUD. Um, but New knows this is a lie, backtracks them, finds HUD in a cave. HUD is dying, but, um, um, but he's, he's, he dies before he can tell New anything other than Nat Ell is the one who stabbed him. Um, he New continues to backtrack. He picks up uh, Nat Ell's um, trail, and he follows it to the boat builder camp. Um, 
Now he sees um, Nadal's tracks, and he sees the tracks of Tour following her, um, and he runs after them, only to have Nadal's tracks suddenly disappear um, without explanation. And we find out how that happened pretty quickly, but Nat, as far as New can, is concerned, Nadal just seems to have vanished while running away from somebody. So he sees Tour, Tour uh, the guy who'd been chasing Nadal, although um, I don't know if New knows that at the time, launch a boat and paddle out towards the islands on the horizon. Um, and he eavesdrops on the people. Apparently, the whatever primitive language men are speaking, there's been no language drift yet. Even though these two tribes have not met each other before, they speak the same language. Um, just, I think, an indication that this is still very early in human history. Um, and so, yeah, I'm getting a, a, a backtrack. A, a, nope, it's going. Sorry about that. I was getting a, a reverberation of my voice there for a moment. I'm not sure why. Um, so uh, he he eavesdrops and he hears the other tribesmen saying that Tour is going after a beautiful woman who escaped him. So New presumes that this is Nat L, and um, as we'll see in the next chapter, he makes uh, plans to pursue. Um, any comments from you guys from chapter four? Nothing for me. Okay. I like your summary, though. I think you did well. Thank you. Um, chapter five um, is just a really cool action scene. Um, uh, um, so the men are going out fishing in these boats. Um, one of the boats is des is destroyed by a sea monster, uh, but News watches them as they fill another up with with whatever you know smaller prey, whatever fi they're fishing for, and it returns. And as soon as um, New has a chance to get one of these boats. He charges into the camp, kills three of the tribesmen, and steals one of the boats. Um, he quickly, it just, uh, he's a smart guy, new for a primitive uh, uh, troglodyte, as Burroughs often describes him. He quickly figures out how to paddle, and he heads for the same island that Tour was going to. Um, he has to kill a sea monster along the way, and he arrives at the, uh, at, at the island. He tracks Tour up a ravine. And the chapter ends when he hears a woman scream. Um, so as I said, this chapter is a great action scene, both in New fighting the tribesmen and stealing a boat, and later uh, killing the sea monster. Uh, the sea monster is not described in detail, but it is, I think, mentioned that it has a long neck. So I I'm picturing plesiosaurs when he's fighting sea monsters, in my mind. Um, were you guys picturing kind of the same thing, or? Yeah, very similar. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, and so we do see that um, in the Burroughs universe, dinosaurs and, or at least some dinosaur-like creatures, still existed when man came on the on the scene. Um, and since Burroughs' world is full of of lost lands where dinosaurs do still live, this is a perfectly reasonable thing for him to do. Um, I've always wondered if this story doesn't take place in the same universe as the movie One Million Years B.C. with uh, Rockout Welch, where once again you had cave people encountering dinosaurs. So, uh, so any comments from you guys on Chapter 5? Uh, 
Well, I think you you wrap that pretty good, but I always always enjoy the chapters where he brings in the uh, prehistoric beasts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, everything's always better with dinosaurs. That's like a rule we should all live by. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I'm pondering the possibilities of Octel Welch being in this universe. Uh, <laughs> and then who's better? Who's better looking, Raquel Welch or Nat L? Uh, be endless. Victoria Betri and dinosaurs. <laughs> so, um, so Jess, you were going to pick up with Chapter Six. Indeed, I am, and that Chapter Six. Now we're in Part Two now. Chapter Six there is entitled "The Anthropoid Apes." We pick up the action with Tour, the boat builder, chasing Nat Ull. He hasn't heard about Raquel Welch. <laughs> trying, trying to escape tour, and that old races down the beach when a pterodactyl seizes her. Now we know this is an occupational hazard. We've seen pterodactyl snatching happen a couple times over in Pelucer, and that usually does not end well. Mm-hmm. So Tour, who's there with his spear, launches a spear at the pterodactyl, catching it in the fatty portion of the long tail near the body. Sounds like a vulnerable spot. Even though wounded, the pterodactyl flies to the nearest island where her hungry hatchlings await their dinner. Uh, Nat Ull, who's hanging on, stops struggling because she knows even a cave bear or a bull boss is helpless in the uh, talons of the pterodactyl. She's saving her energy. Besides, those pterodactyl claws are sharp. Don't want to get scratched up there any more than necessary. She She sees that the pterodactyl it's carrying her to a mysterious country out beyond the restless sea, someplace she's never been before. The pterodactyl drops Nat Ull in the nest with the little baby pterodactyls, then flies away. The, the baby pterodactyls attack, but Nat Ull wounds two who then attack each other. These creatures aren't very smart. They are in turn attacked by a third baby pterodactyl, giving Nat Ull an opportunity to escape. She climbs down from the cliff which is a slow, perilous descent, 100 feet down at least, and handholds are, are hard to come by, so you t- just take your time and hang on for dear life. Burl's prose describes events uh, here. Um, so begin quote here. About her were the million sounds of the jungle. The lesser animals, oh, okay, this is, that, this is occurring after she's finally made it down to the ground level where she has some uh, she's on solid ground, firm footing, and she can catch her breath. So now she's taking a nap. Now I'm going to quote here from Burroughs. About her were the million sounds of the jungle, the lesser animals, the birds, the insects, the swaying branches. They but lulled her to deeper slumber. The winds blowing up the ravine from the sea fanned her cheek. It moved the soft, luxuriant hair that fell about her shoulders. It soothed and comforted her. But it did not whisper to her the close-set, wicked eyes that peered out of the trees upon her. So just escaped the pterodactyl nest. Now something else is going on. It did not warn Nat Ull of the drooling jaws, the pendulous lower lip, the hairy breast beneath which a savage heart beat faster as the little eyes feasted upon her farm. It did not tell her that a huge body had slipped from a nearby tree and was slinking toward her. It did not tell her but a broken twig snapping beneath the wary foot of the stalker did alert her. End of that quote. So Nat Ol, all this is about six, eight people. Nat Ol is awakened by the approach of six, eight people 
who probably a little bit lower on the evolutionary scale than than where where she is. Uh, six eight people who chased her up the same cliff she had just come down. Just come down that cliff. Now I have to go back up, and in a hurry too. She took one look at these six eight people to see six great man-like forms, reddish hair all over the giant bodies. She saw wolf fangs, a hulking slouch, all upon sharp, crooked legs, not the kind of people you want to mess with after you've had a rough day. On the way up, now Ola manages to kill two of these uh, eight people by throwing rocks at them, knocking them off the side of the cliff. At the top of the cliff, Nat Ola slips, falling over the edge towards the rocky bottom below, seemingly destined to join those who just died landing there. On the way down, she knocks another one to his death. Uh, but all of this serves to break her fall, enabling her to land on a very narrow ledge where she rolls further into the arms of one of her man-ape pursuers. After catching her, the man-ape races to the bottom of the cliff with his prize pursued by the other two man-apes. So the race is on. Deciding to take a stand, now Ol's captor throws her to the ground to attack, roaring and foaming, the other two man-apes. Nanul takes this as an opportunity to leave. She wonders, how can a girl survive here with only a knife? She's rethinking this prehistoric lifestyle. Her <laughs> conclusion was to press forward in a continuous battle for survival with wits and agility against brute force and cunning. That's her approach here. She Nadal makes her way through a gorge as the sounds of the battle grow distant behind her. Maybe she ducked that one. At the end of the narrow canyon, with the beach and the sea before her, Naul encounters a man. He grabs her as she passes. She fights like a tigress and screams. He laughs in her face. He is Tour the boat builder, and he has caught Nat Ole. Now we understand why Tour was working so hard on his boat earlier. He heard about Nat Ole, and he was trying to catch up to her about building a boat here real quick. That's the end of part two, chapter six. As we can see here, uh, Nat Ole encounters several dangers and threats, but proves to be a scrappy fighter, but we're still leaving her in a tough circumstance. That concludes uh, chapter six. And any comments? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree about her being scrappy and brave. And I think the, so when she like gets lucky with a knife thrust against the baby pterodactyls and gets them to start fighting each other, she's earned that luck just by the fact that she's fighting back the best she can. Um, this this chapter is just it's one of my favorite ERB chapters. It's like a roller coaster of adventure writing. You know, pterodactyl nest, escaping from that, the climb down, the apes chasing her, the, the, the you know, knocking them off a cliff, one of them catching her, them getting into a fight, her running away, getting caught by tour. It's like one thing after another, just really fast paced, really exciting, great storytelling. Um, yeah, it, it just is, um, if I had to pick the best chapter in this book, this would be it. Uh, in fact, I was going to note that uh, I've summarized and, and, and taken just the highlights here. There is a lot going on in this chapter. It's mm -hmm. much more detailed than what I've led you all to believe. Uh, Burl's beautiful descriptions of all the anxiety, the excitement, the adventure, hanging on to the side of the cliff of, with, with, uh, by your fingertips, <laughs> going down the cliff, back up the cliff. Mm -hmm. So uh, there, it's it's uh, if, if you only read one chapter out of this book, this might be the one to read. Although, of course, I recommend reading the entire book and look forward to this chapter. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah. other... Go ahead. You, you mentioned that uh, 
getting snatched by pterodactyls is a very common danger in Edgar Rice Burroughs' universe. And I, the specific instance I remember is Tarzan being grabbed by one in Tarzan mm. at the Earth's Core and oh, being yeah. dropped into a nest of hungry babies. So it is a pretty standard danger. Um, um, it's like uh, captured by a pterodactyl. It must be Tuesday. It happens <laughs> all the time. Well, that does. Uh, that's a that Tarzan to Earth tour incident there you just described is one of my favorite scenes, and mm-hmm. that's been captured several times uh, by various artists. They've all done an extraordinary job with it. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of emotion, a lot of anxiety, a lot of danger, a lot of fear, and a lot of uh, struggle there to depict. No matter how you look at it, and, uh, and all of those, uh, all those many fine artists. In fact, just yesterday I got a a copy of one of the Frazetta drawings of that incident and, and added that to my wall here. Uh, but there's plenty of other ones. Uh, Neil Adams, Joe Jusco, of course. Uh, there's a long, long list, all fine artwork. Very perilous moment. I would not want to be in that position. Yeah. By the claws of a pterodactyl uh, way up in the air, going off to be fed to someone's for somebody's dinner. <laughs> yeah, one of the uh, animated cartoons we did commentary for a few episodes back had that scene in it where... Where, Bur- where Tarzan was snatched by the pterodactyl. So, so, so also shown to us by filmation. So. Exactly. Now, one of these days, I think we should, uh, for our uh, podcast store, we should create a T-shirt that says something like, what would Tarzan do? And then put that uh, <laughs> down on, on the T-shirt. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you handle this situation? Uh, it may be akin to some of the things you face in your everyday life, no, so to speak, metaphorically. Mm-hmm. So it's just food for thought. What would Tarzan do? Well, he, every, time, every time I read Tarzan, there's Corey. He manages to get out of that scrape, but he has a time of it. Uh, where Megan Ryan was saying, what would New do? What would New do? <laughs> what would New well, do? That's good. That That's good, too. That's got possibilities. <laughs> where, where am I? I'm on Chapter 7, Beast Fires. That sounds right. <laughs> I believe right. so, yes. All right. Well, that's where I'm going to pick it up here. All right, so we're, we're in part two, as we've already established, Chapter 7, Beast Fires. So we've described the Nat Ole's troubles over here. Uh, a tour carries Nat Ole to his canoe. He is a boat builder, we know, so he's got that shining new boat. He also finds New's boat besides his own boat, so he learns he is pursued by New. So he can't have that. So tour throws Nat Ole into one boat and shoves the other boat, that would be New's boat, out into the surf. And let me note that this is new, the sun, uh, new, the dad will pop in up here later on. New dives, sees all this. He dives into the sea and overtakes Tour's boat. Unable to fight, both Nat Ole and New, they're on board the boat now. Tour knocks Nat Ole out with a fist. He's a brutal guy. He knocks Nat Ole out with his fist and batters New with the paddle until New slips back into the water. So things aren't looking good. Uh, let me know that Tour, yeah, I did want to note this, that Tour is very violent towards Nat Ull as well as towards other women. And we'll hear more about that later on. And Nat Ull later on wakes up at night bound hand and foot. She's in a hut that belongs to Tour, the boat builder. He has more than one hut, so Tour is a hut builder too. I, I drew that conclusion here. Um, no word on where um, New, son of New, is. The village, this is nighttime now, the village is surrounded by beast fires to keep the carnivores at bay. But a lion leaps into the camp. Lions will do that. We've seen that happen in the Tarzan books. So a lion leaps leaps into the camp in the darkness, seizing an old man. The lion is slain along with the old man before it can escape. 
so after all this excitement, everyone goes to sleep except for two girls who are left to wait to tend the flowers, fires and to tend the fires and to watch for other leaping lions. Tour enters the hut and starts to untie Nat Ole's legs. Now Nat Ole watches as yet another creature enters, enters the dark hut and silently attacks Tour. Gee, I wonder who that could be. With her legs freed, Nat Ole takes this opportunity to run into the jungle. That concludes Chapter 7, The Beast Fires. So Nat Ole gets away, goes into the jungle. Meanwhile, Tour is being attacked in his own hut. And uh, any comments or thoughts from you all? Yeah, I, I think it is important to note that Tour is very violent towards the women in his life, um, which is a good way of setting up what we'll later see with his uh, regular mate, um, Throck, and which will have very important consequences to the story. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of like last episode, we mentioned how Burroughs gradually be- built up Curtis's character to hint that he was kind of a jerk until we found out he actually was. It was a, um, a very good bit of characterization. He's doing something similar here, paralleling that with Tour, um, mm-hmm. uh, um, gradually hinting that he is not very nice towards women and having that have serious consequences towards the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Well said. And in fact, this reminds me, it was just today in my Facebook discussion group, The Love of All Things Edgar Rice Burroughs, I was commenting that uh, Burroughs' heroes treat their women very well. They're always mm-hmm. good to them. They don't mistreat them. Uh, so seeing someone here in a Burroughs story mistreat a woman repeatedly uh, tells us pretty quick that he's a villain and has a bad moral character or poor moral character. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other comments from you all? Oh, uh, we have to give Nadelle credit for doing the best she can and helping to fight for new all in the canoe. Um, she's you oh, know, yeah. not just a helpless damsel in distress. She'll take a hand when she can. Another trademark of a Burroughs heroine. They can't stand up for themselves. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving now into chapter eight, bound to the stake. New is left stunned, but does not drown. This is when back in the water incident. So when New is hit there by Tour, he's left stunned but does not drown and is able to swim ashore to the island. New sees where Tour lands on the opposite shore. So New's got to figure out a way to get over there. New finds his canoe and rows after the other boat. So night falls. New sees the beast fires and lands north of the camp. So New has finally made his way to that same shoreline. During the incident where the lion seizes the old man and is killed, which I described earlier, uh, during that time where the lion uh, seizes the old man, New creeps into camp from the opposite side under the cover of darkness. Prowling the camp, New hears Nanol talking to another in one of the huts and creeps inside. So New, as we might have thought, was indeed that third person that came into the hut right behind Tour. Uh, New leaps on tour, calls out for help when New gains the upper hand. Now, Groan or Gron, I think probably a lot of people groan when they see this person. Uh, <laughs> uh, but most likely, G R O N most likely is pronounced Gron. Uh, it may come out Groan or Gron. That's who I'm talking about. She's tour's mate, and you really can't say much good about her either. She leads villagers to the hut where Nat Ole is bound. Knowing that her mate tour would be with a captive woman. Now, seems the thing I don't understand here. I would expect Gron to be mad at tour for being with another woman he's holding prisoner, but Gron doesn't seem to be upset by that. 
in my opinion, Tura would get what he, what he would deserve if, if indeed she were upset. That doesn't seem to be the case. So uh, she takes, uh, she knows Tura's in there with captive woman. She she directs other villagers to that cut. When a carelessly thrown torch starts the hut burning, it must have been a smoker. When a carelessly <laughs> thrown torch starts the hut burning, news revealed, and he is quickly captured. And I think we've said that Nat Ole escapes during all this. So, yes, the men go to search for Nat Ole, who made her way out the back door of the hut, and Gron, G-R-O-N, Gron, or Grown, attacks Newt. It was, seems, yeah, here we go. This is my note. seems to me that Gron should be mad at her mate, Tour for abducting another woman. We've already covered that. One of the men stops Grown and tells Tour to punish his woman for interfering with the affairs of men. Well, Tour doesn't miss an opportunity to beat his woman, seriously. So he takes her away and beats her. As I, and as and as stated here, more violence from Tour towards women. The, the chief questions knew who calls the boat builders cowards because they wear the skin of cows, not while beasts take in the hut. Well, I, I admire New for his bravery, but this does not work out very well for him. Um, this is not how to win friends and influence people when you're insulting them. Uh, angered, the boat builders wait a day, then they tie New to the stake, surrounded by a ring of wood, and light the fire to roast him alive. So New's up, a, a, if he's not up a creek, he's up a stake. And he's getting a hot foot as we leave this chapter. Any comments here on chapter eight? Um, it's kind of interesting that New and Not L were like they a few chapters ago. They had slept in different caves near each other without realizing and missed a chance to get together. Here, Not L does not realize that it's New who's attacking Tour and runs away. So once again, they were right next to each other and didn't realize it and missed a chance to reconnect. Um, so that just, they seem to have really bad luck in that regard. Um, well, I can see her desire to get the heck out of that, that, that hut. Yeah. I can understand that. But GL, who else would be crawling in there under the cover of darkness into that hut? Yeah, that one, yeah. in hindsight. Um, I think it is important to note that New is disgusted by the bolt builder's willingness to beat women. Um, mm -hmm. it, it does mm -hmm. show a difference, um, in, in moral development between the two civilizations. Um, That's and very good. Yeah, it's also clear. It's also clear that News Tribe does not torture prisoners. They might kill prisoners because they can be ruthless towards you know their enemies. But he's only vaguely familiar with the concept of torture. So it's clear that his tribe doesn't beat women and doesn't torture people. Um, and so Burroughs is careful to establish the difference between um, New and his culture and the boat builders and their more uh, brutal culture. So, uh, um, also, it's kind of neat. It's kind of interesting that New doesn't think much of manual labor. Um, I, I made a note of a quote from this chapter. New despised them, talking about the boat builders, not because they would kill him, for he might expect that from any stranger, but because they wore the skin of cows and the men labored instead of devoting all their time and energies to the chase and to warfare. So, that's more of a cultural than a moral difference, but I just thought it was kind of neat. That from News' point of view, anybody who like worked at manual labor was kind of wimpy because they're not out hunting cave bears. So, um, so just like a, a difference in the two cultures. These guys are actually never going to get along. Uh, in so many in so many aspects, they are just diametrically different from each other. That's a very good point. I didn't really pick up on that so much, but I can certainly see what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And that explains that explains News' commentary there that the 
like I said, that that that's not how you win friends and influence people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it winds up with a takeover, but he's expressing his uh, his uh, belief and his his outlook on on uh, on life there. Yeah, uh, it's another thing. If New had become a regular character in stories set in the 20th century with Victoria, that attitude might have been uh, fodder for some stories. You know, Victoria. Yeah, I could see him a construction worker. That would be interesting. Yeah. Uh, anything else? That's good commentary. Anything else? I think that's it. All right, then I'm going to push on. Okay, we're still in part two, which will be here for the remainder of this podcast. Uh, chapter nine, the fight. As if we haven't already had enough uh, enough uh, violence, now we have a chapter entitled The Fight. Well, this chapter opens up with all the members of News Tribe. We're shifting locales again. This chapter opens up with all the members of New's tribe sitting in silence, reflecting on the absence of New, the son, and their beloved Na'ul. Uh, Hud is looked down upon for his role in the day's events that led to the disappearance of New, the son, and Na'ul. So um, there's um, some some sadness here. There's some blame directed, uh, deservedly so, directed, directed towards Hud. And uh, fear is what's become of New and Na'ul. Now, the head of the tribe is New, the father of New, who I shall refer to as New, the father, just to keep things simple and I hope clear. New, the father, states that he cannot look for a new home with two of the tribe's children missing, because Nat'ol and New, the son, their whereabouts is still unknown, could be lost, we just don't know that for sure. Hud is deservedly catching the blame for all this. No one is missing or mourning Hud. roster anyone taking notes at home here we got some new people introduced dag a young friend of new the sun draws a line in the ground and swears never to cross it until new the sun is found very symbolic a very bold statement i might add from this young man who has great potential i would say to be a leader uh, dag is joined by ot aht tam i think you mentioned him earlier ot aht is new's brother and then joining Ot and Dag uh, at this line is new the father, then Tha, who is now Ol's father. So this line is getting crowded. Uh, Ot joins Dag, followed by New himself, that would be uh, new, new the father. And then Tha, soon everybody is south of the line. I may have repeated some people there, but as I can see, they're all falling into line. From this, New the father forms a rescue party with the remainder of the tribe is solely returned to their former home. Uh, take their time getting there until we figure out where where these missing people are. So the rescue party finds the dead body of Hud. So he got what what he was deserving. They do find traces of both New and Nat Ult, but no indication that New is caught up with Nat Ult. Another case perhaps where their paths cross without them realizing it. So the rescue party, in order, I guess, to conduct a better search, the rescue party splits into three smaller parties. I hope you're still taking notes. New the father is in one rescue party with Dag, will lead a party to follow the beach. Tha and Ot, Ot is uh, New's brother, and Tha is Nat'ol's father. They're going to lead a second rescue party that will head inland a mile, then turn south. And the third party will go west. That night, Dag, who is with New's party, sees those beast fires we've been talking about from previous chapter. He also sees Nat'ol creeping up on their very own camp. So she's going to allow them to rescue her. Just happened to come into their camp. Um, but, but nothing's easy. 
Na'ol is being stalked by Zor the lion and the lion's mate. So this is two lions for the price of one here. But fortunately, Dag and the others kill the lions. Now, this is a good sequence here. Uh, so I've, I've got an excerpt here that I'm going to read. Because as I often say, Burroughs would tell it much better than I. And this certainly deserves the attention. So Dag and the others kill the lions. And this is Burroughs describing how it happens. So begin excerpt. <clears throat> And then with a frightful roar, Zor charged, and the creature before it rose upon two full feet and the light of the nearer blaze. With a cry that aroused the whole camp, Dag leaped beyond the flaming circle, his spear hand thrown back, the stone head laboriously chipped to a sharp point directed at the charging Zor the lion. The weapon passed scarce a hand's breadth from the shoulder of Zor's prey, that would be Nadol, and buried itself in the breast of the beast. At the same instant, Dag leaped past the fugitive, pacing himself directly in the path of the lion with only an axe and a knife of stone to combat the fury of the raging, wounded demon of destruction. Run within the beast, Nadol, he cried. Zor's mate is coming to his aid. And sure enough, springing lightly across the sands came a fierce lioness, maimed like her lord. The other warrior met the charge of the infuriated lioness with his spear straight into the broad Rest ran the sharp point, the while the man clung tenaciously to the haft, whipped hither and thither as the beast reared and wheeled and struck at him with her paws. Now knew, this is the, the chief, and his fellows arrived upon the scene. A score of spears bristled from the bodies of Zor and his mate. Axes fell upon their heads, and knew the mighty leaped upon Zor's back with only a stone knife. There he clung to the thick mane, driving the penny weapon time and again. And the back and side until at last the roaring, screaming beast rolled over upon its side to rise no more. The lioness proved more tenacious of life than her lord, and though bristling with spears and cut ribbons with the knives of her antagonists, she charged in close quarters with a sudden rush that found one of the cavemen a fraction of a second too slow. The strong claws raked him from neck to groin, and as he fell, the mighty jaws closed with a sickening crunch upon his skull. And within the circle of fires, now Ola replenished the blaze, keeping the whole scene brilliantly lighted for the warriors that she had stumbled upon men of her very own tribe so unexpectedly, seemed a little short of miraculous, a happy coincidence, says in the Burroughs books. She could scarce wait for the battle. So urgent was the business that filled her thoughts. End of that passage, and I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. That's Burroughs describing the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so to wrap this chapter up, now, Ol tells New the father of the events from Hud's kidnapping to a discovery that New the son was being burned at the stake. The rescue party attacks the camp, overcoming the boat builders, but finds that New, the son of New, has already disappeared from the camp. So that concludes my comments there for Chapter 9. Any comments? Um, kept, oh, go every ahead. time I kept seeing the name Dad, I started thinking of Dagar, the invincible gold key. I remember <laughs> that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a good comic. Uh, um, I do like I do like that Nat knew the older's plan, the dividing of the of the um tribe into search parties to check out all the possibilities, uh, was intelligent and well thought out of. It, uh that plus, you know, news loyalty and not leaving his son behind and inspiring everybody else in the tribe to do the same, he's demonstrating himself to be a really good leader. And and um, um, and that was a cool fight scene. Um, 
Now, I noticed they call the lion Zor. That means that though they speak Mangani, their own language is a different one. Otherwise, they'd be saying Numa. Good point. Mm -hmm. I picked so, up on that too. Mm -hmm. Any uh, other comments? That was all I had. Well, I, I agree with you. Uh, these um, uh, cavemen are much more advanced than what I expected at first. They do show up. They show potential. Mm -hmm. All right. So if nothing else there, chapter 10 is entitled Grons or Groans Revenge. So we'll get back to her. The women of the boat builders taunt Groan until she is beside herself with rage. Now, this is tourist mate that we're talking about. Scarb, the chief uh, who ordered her beating, says Tour will find another woman and throw Gron out of his hut. So when Gron asks Tour for forgiveness, he knocks her down, orders her to get away from him. She goes mad. Since she already has anger management problems, now she's mad. <laughs> Vowing revenge on Tour, this is terrible, but it happens here. Vowing revenge on Tour, she slays her own son because it was Tour's beloved child. Uh, I'm commentary for me here. Obviously, it's cruel and stupid to say the least, but it does show what she's about. If she's willing to go that far. Then beating out two of the beast fires, she shouts a false warning that four lions are in the village killing the children. While everyone races to save the children, Gron frees New and helps him steal a boat. Behind, and all this is out of spite. Behind them, they see two people set out after them and behind them this would be a gron anew they see two people set out at pursuing them in another canoe their pursuit follows them out to sea to one of the islands on the horizon landing there on that island armed with only gron's knife they see the other boat approach new and gron head inland on that island where gron admits she did not save new for herself but only to anger tour whom she hates and actually if i was new son of new there i'd be relieved that gron is not interested in me because she's not the kind of person I want to be around. Mm -hmm. And that concludes my comments here for chapter 10. Uh, you all have anything to say? Um, yeah, the, the death of the baby, he's not graphic about it at all, but it is a truly horrific moment, as it should be. He, uh, Burroughs handles telling that very well. Um, um, and I think he's but, also... Uh, oh, sorry, Scott, go ahead. Well, I was just saying... But it's a frightening moment. It's, it it's is. horrible, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Burroughs is also showing us a practical as well as a moral reason not to beat women because Gron here is driven to take revenge and it's not going to work out well for Tour in the end. So, um, um, you know, don't beat women because it's a despicably moral, immoral thing to do, but also don't beat them because it could come back to, you know, to bite you in the end. So, um, and... I, I just like, you know, we, is there a direct comparison in there? A new being um, on the island with, without weapons being compared to a modern person being in public naked? Um, I made a note of that, but I didn't know you make a note whether it was a direct, taken directly from the book. But um, that, that, that's just, he, you know, Burroughs is stressing primitive man's self-reliance, uh, which is a common theme for him, especially in the Tarzan novels. Um, you know, those of us from civilization could be thrown into the wilderness and we'd be dead in a day because we would have no idea what to do. 
Whereas well, uh, these guys we think of as less evolved than us would would live and thrive in that same situation. Well, certainly being stuck on this island while being pursued by others and your only companion is this grown person. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not who I want at my side. Mm-hmm. Like, one, you can't trust her. Two, she is not of, a, of, of any kind of good moral character. Not anybody that I'd want to be around long term. So I would want to distance myself. I mean, she may be able to fight. I'll give her that. But uh, she could just as easily turn on me on a whim mm-hmm. um, and may join those people with pursuing. So I'd want to distance myself from her just as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, we also keep seeing something Burroughs is doing a lot in this book is, is uh, coming up at a cliffhanger moment like, uh, oh, New has disappeared from the fire. Where is he? Or earlier in the novel where two were – Nat L's tracks just disappeared when she was running off the beach and knew had no idea what to doing. Stopping with those cliffhanger moments and then going back to a flashback in the next chapter to show us how we got to that point. Um, and I think Burroughs does an excellent job of keeping the chronology straight so that in the end, it all makes sense in terms of how much time has passed and, and uh, with the characters interacting with each other. Setting up a situation, leaving you to wonder, and then going back later on and filling in those holes. Yep, and he does that several times in this book, and he does it's a very effective narrative technique, and he does it very well. If memory serves, we definitely now this is one of the I don't want to say one of the first books, but it's, it's pretty high on the list in, in time timeline as the books he's written. Um so I believe he took that approach uh, pretty effectively over in the Barsoom books. Does that sound familiar? Um, he very, I think he did uh, after the first three, and they weren't necessarily yeah. narrated in the first person anymore. Right. I think he often after, did the same thing. After I'm thinking specifically of Swords of Mars, I'd have to look at. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely after the first three is where I was thinking. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I, I distinctly recall as a youngster reading these stories for the first time, and uh, I'm wondering, "Gee, Liz, what happened here?" I hope he tells us, and he would. Uh, and I recall finding a sense of relief that he goes back and fills in those gaps for me. Yep. You know, I also think a point related to what we're discussing here about Burroughs' take, um, a lot of people think because he's dealing with uh, prehistoric uh, beings or, or people like Tarzan in the woods, that, you know, animalistic type people, that he would be like a, a promoter of a might makes right. But that's completely opposite of what he really says. He uh, might can help make right, but it doesn't guarantee that it is going to be right. He brings that nuance in on, mm-hmm. on, on the characters as we're talking about how to treat women, how to treat animals. Some things are necessary to stay alive. Sometimes you have to kill an animal to eat it, but you don't necessarily kill an animal for enjoyment. You know, yeah. it's, uh, uh, he has a subtlety to it. There That's is. The it's, not, it's not might makes right. It's might in defense of right. Um, if you're yes. able, to, yeah. you're yeah. able yeah. to fight in defense of those who need it, then you are responsible for doing so. And it's a responsibility that the heroes of the Burroughs universe feel very strong on. Um, we see that with New has this sense of honor, personal honor, to take to become Gran's protector in these last few chapters, even though he has no reason to like her or admire her. It's might in defense of right. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, well, Scott, you were going to take over with chapter 11. Yep. 11 through uh, 15, I believe it is. That'll be the ending of uh, both parts and in uh, this section, of course. So chapter 11 is called the uh, Oryx. Oryx, does that sound right to you? Oryx? I think Oryx? that's how you say it. It's, it's a word I've seen written a million times. I don't know if I've ever heard it pronounced out loud. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever had a reason to mention it out loud either till tonight. <laughs> Here's your chance to be creative. <laughs> so so now that uh, uh, New and uh, Ground are back together, or, you know, uh, after he's been uh, cut loose there, they uh, go off to hide in, in the forest, and uh, he has her come up into a tree with him. He... The background of his peoples when they're hunting or in a place they consider a danger that uh, they have learned how to nestle up and, and sleep on the branches up on the tree there. And so they fall asleep. And, and uh, when she wakes up in the morning, I think she's slightly startled because he's got an arm around her, but I think it's more for like protection and, and holding her up there. Um, oh, she, uh, finds comfort in it, like like a husband and, and a, a wife in bed together or wrapped around each other. And um, she's looking, looking at his face and, and deciding that he's handsome and likes that. Then the last 24, 48 hours will start coming in back to her. And uh, she starts remembering that she killed her baby. So I think she was truly in a that was like a moment or, or a cycle of insanity. You know, the, as a, it was sad at that time, you know, the way her husband treated her and knocked her down and the anger that came back. So it definitely obvious it would be to most of us, not a rational move on anybody's part, on her part, to uh, kill her child or, or the child of her husband like that. Um, so I think when it comes back, I think it affects her in a different way now than than before. Any any comments on that? Um, no, I agree. I think she is showing um, uh, uh, remorse, and um, yeah, then not that excuse that doesn't excuse what she does as well. And I think Burroughs realizes that because she does pay for her crime in the end, uh, in a sense. Yeah. But but uh, she's a very human character. She was without excusing it or taking away her moral responsibility. She was driven to it by the by the uh, abuse she took from Tour, and I think it's quite appropriate to feel some sympathy for her, even though you know that she committed a horrible crime. Yeah, Jess, anything? No, I, I think it's a good point you've made there. Um, it, it, I think probably I can give her some sympathy, but I still can't forget what she did. Mm -hmm. No, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, a character like this shows up sometimes in in uh, screenplays and movie scripts nowadays. You hear the critics going like, look how multi-layered this character is and how much work they put into it. And, here, and other authors have done it too, uh, Victor Hugo, Les Mis, you know, stuff like that. But uh, here, here, 100 plus years ago, we, Burroughs is writing this story. The... Uh, uh, um, the depth to the character here is is very well done. 
Mm -hmm. It's a nice balance. You do feel sympathy with her, but you know she still has a moral responsibility for the oh, crime absolutely. Yeah. I certainly, I certainly believe in the notion of forgiveness, and I know mm -hmm. I appreciate, I value forgiveness when I've screwed up seriously, but she's made a major mistake, though, in killing a child. Yeah. Uh, can't, you know, that's one for the court system to, if there mm -hmm. were courts, to figure out. Mm-hmm. You know, anyway, they went on from there. They go out um, uh, going to uh, try and get some stuff to defend themselves with or fight with, make some weapons, get stones, uh, probably sharpen them up. And uh, new helps going, uh, going down these uh, cliffs with the rocks and, and all that. And uh, kind of admires her. I don't think he knows anything about her baby at this time, but admires her tenacity or try to... Uh, Stay with them as they're going down, down this cliff. I believe there was, uh, I know we'll probably come up to a little bit of it, but wasn't there also an area earlier where he, he realized that a lot of the um, uh, other tribes or uh, different tribes, uh, men or whatever you want to call them, had difficulty climbing up cliffs or up on the rocks. Yeah, new, so new, that's a skill he he's learned with his people. Mm -hmm. And that that come that helps him out a lot in these last few chapters that he can climb, and nobody else he runs to into can. Well, after they're doing this part uh, up and down the cliff like that, uh, they see some cattle, which is where the name Auric comes from. Auric means uh, like ancient, uh, not ancient, but uh, Prehistoric or primitive cattle compared to what we're used to. And uh, so New's going to try and kill one or two to get them some food. But they also see the cattle owners, uh, the herders, uh, coming out with them too uh, from the trees. There. So they uh, get up onto a ledge, hide up there, and, and watch what's going out uh, during this time. Uh, uh, during this time, too, uh, Gron is thinking about how appreciative, how much she likes New, and is thinking of her being her, him being her mate. And uh, uh, while she's thinking this, uh, New is still concerned about uh, Natal uh, taking a, or Natal, <laughs> Natal, Natal, um, uh, rescuing her or finding her so that they can be back together. Um, then uh, during this time they wait and the herders leave and uh, yeah, New uh, gives her uh, some weapons like a, a, a knife or a spear so she can do some hunting and, and uh, get some food uh, for herself or for them and he's going to follow and see where the herders go and what they might be able to get from them if he can steal some weapons or uh, what he comes across. What he comes across on is uh, a lake, and they have created, I'm going to guess, man-made islands. Like, uh, oh, who's, there's, uh, there's a people down like in Peru and some places where they've done that, created out of the reeds or straw. Mm -hmm. Islands that they actually stay on or live on and fish off of, and uh, they have little huts here. Uh, Burroughs calls them caves because that's the only way new can uh, 
think of them as, as caves, even if they're little huts on these uh, floating islands out here. Mm -hmm. I thought that was cool. I, I know, like I said, there's places in Peru and a few places uh, that have people doing that, but I thought it was really cool to have him bring that in uh, as their type of place. Normally with the cattle and stuff, you'd think it's going to be someplace fenced in or uh, maybe a, a walled fortress of some sort. So I'm not, you know, so they kind of let, I guess, cattle are out in the woods there, wherever they let them pasture, and they're living out for protection off the land on the uh, water and reeds. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a neat piece of world building. Each of the three tribes we meet in this, a uh, news tribe and the boat builders and then these guys, all have their own personality to them uh, in terms of the way that they their culture has developed. Yes. Yeah. So he goes, um, uh, uh, is watching them and hiding, walking around. And during this time, realizes that um, he's becoming prey for for a large uh, wild cat, tiger, panther, whatever you want to refer to it as. Um, so he's aware of that out there too. But meantime, he's trying to figure out how or what he should do to get out on some of these reeds and, and uh, or huts and maybe get some supplies or weapons. And uh, he sees one sentry come out standing watch because they have like little walkways from the land and out, out to these uh, islands that are connected this way. And he's staying right alongside the uh, water and also um, apparently a girlfriend or a wife someone very close to the sentry comes by and they're uh, kind of hugging and, and talking a bit. And just as a cat, he realizes, I think he realizes the cat's behind him. is going to leap for him for a little supper. He dives into the water. It's shallow water, but dives there and tries to get in where he can swim a ways. And maybe uh, I'm picturing him going under one of our walkways. So he's hidden, but he's watching the uh, sentry. Um, with his lady friend there talking and uh, he spends about an hour wishing <laughs> uh, they would quit and they're talking and hugging and kissing. Finally, the lady leaves and he starts to uh, pull himself up and crawl behind, get up on the surface of these walkways, and goes through some huts, finds uh, a couple of supplies or weapons there to find and then comes up behind the, uh, Sentry for a seat. It's interesting because he's thinking of a way. Should he go back in the water? He's trying to think of a way to get to land safely, and and it's, uh, but to do it quietly and safely without hurting the sentry. But he can't think of a better way of doing it. So he uh, jumps up behind him and ends up uh, when the sentry's grabbing a knife, the way he's holding and hugging him. Uh, helps the sentry stab himself, the sentry self, through his heart there. And then he continues to go on and uh, uh, return back uh, to ground. But I thought it was interesting that it doesn't say he's concerned about his life, but that Burroughs writes about he's looking at one way maybe to get back, another way safely. His first instinct isn't, okay, I got to kill this guy to get away. So that ethical part of that, morality part that he carries we talked about uh yeah earlier i think shows itself here 
Yeah, New has a very strong moral sense. It's definitely different from our moral sense, though. New is from a world where if you're from a different tribe, you are an enemy. And so yes. when he has to kill the sentry, he doesn't go out of his way to kill the sentry, but when he has to, he does it without a second thought because anybody from a different tribe is by definition an enemy. Um, something else that might have been an interesting plot device if we had ended up with new in the 20th century adventures. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I actually felt a little bad for that century. We got in a very human moment with him, like with his mm -hmm. girlfriend there on on the on the causeway and then he ends up dead so i felt yeah. burroughs may have done that on purpose but i felt bad for that century so i think he did i think the part he didn't you know um he wasn't like hitting it right mm -hmm. on the nose by saying anything but the fact that it had a thought about different ways to try and escape mm -hmm. um but then it came to a point his best part of survival was to kill him but it was a uh you're right. It's a very interesting turn there because mm -hmm. he was just a guy out on watch, his girlfriend, whoever came by, and he hadn't done anything to him or discovered him or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So it shows an interesting balance there in survival and completing the job. Yeah. You can actually parallel that to the return in Tarzan, where Tarzan is stalking a Wazuri warrior, going to kill him for his weapons. And then sees the yeah. guy bravely fight a lion, and he has this epiphany. Oh, wait a minute. This guy's a human just like me. I just can't kill him um, for no reason. Um, yeah. He does not have the same epiphany. He's in a different situation. But it's it's an interesting parallel there. It is. It is. Oh, darn. Well, this uh, is all going on. Jeff, then. Yeah. Um, oh, Jeff, I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. by the way, Jess, you're, uh, I don't know if you realize that your microphone is muted at the moment. My microphone? No, Jess Thank you. was. Yeah. Thank oh. you. Jess I was simply saying the century situation was a good, good compare, or the uh, Wazari situation there was a good good comparison. I, I think that's a good point that you made. Thank you. The um, and, and thanks for learning me about the microphone. The uh, imagine the silence you could have had there for a while. Uh, the other thing, though, is you know, we see that, though, on, oh, I'll say TV shows and movies, too, be it, I don't want to pick on James Bond or or the Wild Wild West, but just, or Star Trek, but just name a few. Uh, there's a guard there just doing his job, minding his own business, and someone comes along. They might knock him out, or they might put a knife knife to him. Um, yeah. A knockout, a knockout is something presumably to recover from. Okay, uh, but but a knife, a knife in the throat. That's that's another deal. Uh, so I, I I do think about that kind of thing. The guy's just doing his job. He's, he hasn't hurt anybody, at least not yet. I mean, he might, given the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's just something I've often wondered about. Go ahead. <laughs> well, also to the fact that they're herders, so they that is a little more like an agricultural self-maintaining thing as opposed to uh, just straight out hunters or raiding other villages too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's an implication these guys are not as violent as the boat builders have shown themselves to be. Yeah. So uh, then it jumps and, and uh, we leave New for a little while and go back to where a couple chapters before he was in the village and uh, Natal is going through the village looking for him when uh, see if he's hiding somewhere in there after he uh, had been let loose and able back, to escape. Yeah, back, back on the mainland is where we are. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Back at, at that village. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, she's going through trying to see if she can find him. And uh, Tur is there and uh, kind of hides himself in shadows or in a hut to uh, uh, so she doesn't recognize or see him and acts like, oh, uh, a friend to her says, oh, I know where he's at. I can take you to him. <laughs> and uh, he kind of keeps his head hidden and she uh, says, okay, and goes with him. And he gets one of those boats people, one of the boats, gets her in there and they uh, are managed to escape through there and go by one village with the boats and not be detected. And she realizes that this one point that they're not going in the direction she believes they should be going to. And um, he instead takes her to an isolated area on another island and uh, tries to have his way with her. But she's got a nice hard paddle (laughs) and knocks him out and takes off into the forest. And after a while, he uh, recovers from being knocked out and gets up, still a little dazed, thinks he sees her and goes up um, to try and catch her and finds out what he saw was moving in with golden hair as a lion instead feasting on something else, which really scares him. And he goes back and finds a tree to climb and get way up there and hang on to the court night and hope the lion doesn't find him. And that brings us to the end of chapter 12. Yeah. Efste that knew the elder back on the mainland, he is obviously an intelligent man and a good leader, but he he made a tactical error there after they had attacked and defeated the boat people of leaving Nat Al alone in the village when they hadn't made sure the village was completely secure. Um, yeah. You know, so if he had just left, okay, you want to stay here and look for new, that's fine. I'll leave a couple of guys with you. Um, but um, he misses he misses a bet on that one, and um, so that you know gets Nat L and Tour together again. Exactly. And, uh, so uh, chapter thirteen, the title of that is Natul is uh, heartbroken, and she has not stopped while the other guys climb the tree. She keeps on going through the forest, um, trying to make a way through the. Uh, island and a nightfall comes um, and she wants to just stop and rest for a bit up on a cliff uh, there's a uh, another large animal out in the dark that she uh, wants to escape from make sure she doesn't become a meal instead and uh, continues moving on finds a cave to sleep in uh, this is funny because now this cave turns out to be Next to the cave where uh, New and Grown are now staying. This is like the third time they're right next to each other without realizing it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't we run into this earlier in the story? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Burroughs has got to be doing this on purpose, just playing on some irony here. (laughs) He is known for coincidences. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, She wakes up and uh, sees New returning. And uh, and he's met by by uh, Grown, who just I'll just say, oh, lovey-dovey now, or she's happy, safe, and she's thinking of him as you know now being her mate, and she sees this, and uh, Newtel just her temper, jealousy factor goes way up. 
uh, um, totally ticked off like that. And then, uh, and she wants to kill him that rages in her, but uh, she decides to take off and hide out or go back in the forest. And there she runs into more of the Alrocks, the uh, cattle down there. And, and um, uh, so she can't go the way he originally wanted to go. But meantime, uh, New is telling Girl that uh, he loves Nutel, that that's who he needs to find and bring her back, and, and he can't he can't be a groan's mate there. And she doesn't take that well, it's crying, and then it falls down to the ground. And then uh, he steps out of the cave and uh, sees this person out by the cattle there, but he can see well enough that's a woman, not a man. And um, he starts heading down in that direction and starts thinking, oh, that might be Natal herself. And he, uh, as he's making his way down the cliff in the, uh, the meadow there, um, the herders show up. And they grab her, and she gets captured for uh, it was a sixth or seventh time anyway. <laughs> <laughs> back to the lake, uh, lake dwellings, back to islands where they're that. And um, he uh, just heads out, ignoring everything else, and takes off to uh, follow them back to the lake. And that's uh, chapter 13. Not, not a ton of things happening there, but it keeps the story moving. It's a shorter chapter. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> I, you know, I realized not all misunderstood the situation. She thought that New was willingly kissing Gron. And so I get that. But... You know, you're in a mind-numbingly dangerous situation. It's not a best time to throw a jealous foot. It's really bad. So, if, if that old knew Gron, like we know Gron, we yeah. would know that New is not going to carry on with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but, if but you knew Gron, I knew Gron. lesson to learn to be learned here, though, is to get to know your neighbors. When you're staying in a cave or a, or a hut. Or, or or wherever, always find out who's who's next door to you. Um, it might be somebody you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so going on to chapter fourteen, the title of which is "I Have Come to Save You." And uh, now, Anu has followed them, and he's waiting till Stark so he can sneak around into the islands, the vill- village, however you want to call it. Um, uh, under the cover of the dark, of course. And he goes through and he goes through buildings and by him. And now he's doing again like uh, we talked about earlier in the story about the uh, smelling or, or sniffing out to try and, and pick up that scent. Um, again, I think a device that's used a lot in the Burroughs story, but mm-hmm. it's good to see him using that here to see if he can pick her up out of the building instead of, you know, ducking the head in and ducking the head out. It makes a lot of sense for him to do that. And then uh, when he's by one building, he sees a sentry go into one of the huts and uh, wake somebody up, and that person's name is Throck, who's supposed to be take that watch as a guard. And, uh, guy's spot half sleeping. He doesn't want to get up. 
And when the other sentry leaves after telling him it's time, New goes up there and keeps himself kind of hidden in shadows and says, hey, hey, uh, I'll take this watch. Don't worry about it. Not It's weird. I'm trying to think how they do each of them knows the same language like this, but um, did I miss that somewhere earlier about him? Um, I, th- I think they've established they, what they did with News Tribe and the Boat Builders earlier, that at this point, oh. humanity has a common language. Okay, that's where that's where I, I, I couldn't remember if there's something extra on that or, mm-hmm. or what. But, um, yeah. yeah, Burroughs doesn't so, go in. Yeah, he doesn't go into it in detail, but I think it's implied that at this point, yeah, there hasn't been any language drift yet. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I just I didn't know if there's something specific about this tribe or not that I missed or read pass on. So, um, so anyway, he. Uh, New tells him, um, go ahead and sleep. I'll take the watch because I've got uh, a girlfriend coming by who's promised to see me on the watch. And also tells Throck, give me your robe or, or whatever to wear so people think it's me out there. And so he goes back and um, out to the watch. And after a while, um, he's he, the curiosity for New is like, I ain't got it's going to take too long to figure out where Atoll is. So he goes back and the throng goes, you know, like, so, hey, by the way, where's that new female prisoner? He goes, oh, she's, you know, down at the end of that other hut. He's like, okay. Hmm. And so he goes there and uh, Throck starts thinking about him and goes, that's kind of weird. Why is he asking that? He goes, if something's going on and I'm found out not to be on watch, I'm going to get killed. <laughs> so he goes out and uh, to see what's going on and heads down to the jail hut, however you want to call it, the cell, and finds Null and uh, New and uh, Natal there. Uh, but New kills Throck and both Natal and New dive into water and swim ashore and uh, are able to outrun anyone who's chasing him there. So group of people that got together lose them in the darkness and, and in the woods there. And then uh, they climb up, um, hit the cliff, an area where the caves are and stuff like that. And Tor is up there. So he wants to push this boulder down. So he'll go down and kill them in a the landslide or just by the size of that boulder. And as he's doing that, Grown comes out and sees what's happening. And um, regardless of their heated argument a couple hours before, she's still carrying that love for uh, uh, New in her heart instead of her. So she kills him before he can drop the rock on them and then kills herself in the meantime. And maybe part of that's because of, you know, having killed her son earlier. Uh, instead of living with that, knowing she couldn't live with New. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, then the couple, Natal and, and New, uh, find a couple of the canoes to dug out boats, and uh, they head back to to that uh, village area where they were earlier. And um, they go back there, and she uh, uh, gives them a little hard time about it. I thought, you love me, you're going to bring me the head of woo. 
teases them a little bit about that. And, um, while they're back at the village now, I think, and I think they're still the only ones at the village. There's an earthquake, and the mountains and rocks all seem to world type earthquake. And water from the sea is lifted up and starts washing in through the valley and over the land to flood everything. That's the end of chapter 14. Yeah. Um, and I just will say, I mean, we've talked about how strong Grand's character arc is already. I just want to reemphasize that. Everything that happens up to her killing Tour and then killing herself, it, it has a real sense of tragedy to it, and it hits all the right emotional notes. And yes. um, you do feel bad for Gron, but you also realize that her death is a, an appropriate moral consequence for killing her baby earlier. Yeah, that's a sort of like uh, uh, a could be easily a story about her and covering mm-hmm. that whole arc, and it'd be a, a very viable tragedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the last chapter, number 15, it's called What the Cave Review Reviewed. Now, um, we've ended with what looks like the end of the world as they know it there. And we come to a, a chapter like how are they going to survive? Alas, we are in our present time. Uh, they're in the uh, residence, the uh, plantation ranch of, of Tarzan of Lord Greystoke in modern day or their modern day Africa uh, when Victoria wakes up now. Victoria, who has been Natu, Nato throughout this whole second part. And um, her uh, uh, brother Barney's there and said uh, she'd been unconscious for, passed out from, because there's a small earthquake scared her and she fainted. Been out about three minutes or so, not too long. And uh, she tells him about this. That in that three minutes, this whole lifetime story, basically, that that she assumes dreamt it, that she dreamt it there, and uh, details of it, and, and uh, everything that happened. And, and he's like, "Well, you know, don't you're okay here? And we haven't had a flood. It's a small earthquake." Um, you know, uh, Curtis, as opposed to being dead villain previously, is still alive, but she believes the dream has warned her and told her not to, uh, he isn't a person for her. Yeah. There's I, more in her life for her after that. I, I Did you want to say something? Oh, I just think we should make it absolutely clear that she's waking up at the beginning, of, after the earthquake in chapter two of part one. So yeah. neither the events of part, both the events of part one and all part two are now coming as a dream she had. Yes. Yeah, thank you for that part. So that's where the three minutes was in that whole encompassing, yeah. Um, well, so then she, like the next day, her and her brother head out for uh, a horse ride uh, um, out across the uh, uh, Oh, um, uh, I can't remember the name for the big plains out in Africa, but out, out like horse riding anyway, out in the open. Mm-hmm. And, uh, pardon? The Veld. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, 
Um, and the bunny's kind of surprised because she's going in an area she didn't like where the cliffs are and the rocks and because of the uh, earthquakes and possibilities like that. Uh, but she rides right up to the cliffs and heads up and he follows her up the cliff. She climbs over the rocks and gets up to the top and they see that the cliff has actually opened up, that it wasn't all solid one piece. There's actually like a huge boulder that had been there all they know for thousands of years because they all thought it's part of the same mountaintop. And um, yeah, she's going in and he's afraid of her, you know, having a fit or seizure or, or whatever going in because she's scared of dark caves, things like that. And, uh, but she goes in and he follows her in there. And then inside they find um, the saber tooth skull uh, laying there. And next to it is the skeleton of New, who she takes to heart as uh, having killed the saber tooth because he was going to prove his love for her or for his love for uh, Natal, who is her. So you get that. Mystery, Twilight Zone, uh, time travel thing going on, and yeah, they're left well, staying there with with the end of the story. Yeah, now I have so yeah, there is like so at this point, everything that's happened of uh, part one and part two is being presented as a dream, but new as we have proof here that new actually existed, so. Yeah. I have I have some theories. Um, part one of the book, where New is in the present, actually happened, but later events erased that timeline. Um, another idea is that part two did actually happen, and New's body in the cave is from when he goes he goes out to hunt the tiger again at the end of chapter fourteen, and is apparently yeah. killed by the earthquake hits. Um, so that that theory has both of these actually happened, but Somehow, somehow history was altered so that the timeline changed. Um, another idea is part one is just a dream, but Victoria was getting information from New about from her memories as when she was not old. So her subconscious or her previous self is warning her about marrying Curtis. And if part one is just a dream, uh, that might explain why Tarzan isn't up to snuff since Victoria's subconscious didn't know enough about Tarzan to portray him properly. Um, yes. The last theory is that both parts are a vivid dream of Victoria, but she's still getting information from her Nat Ulk incarnation. Um, I don't really like that one because I like to think of part two, at least, as, as definitely true history. Um, but I guess the big thing is, did part one happen, but the timeline was changed, or was part one always just a dream? Um, and I guess you can interpret it either way. Yeah. Um, which which one would you guys pick? Oh, I don't know. And just out of nowhere, I never thought of this reading the book. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about the dream and uh, the time conundrum and all that, mm -hmm. I just remember I've not seen a movie for years. But uh, there's a Barbara Streisand movie, I think, on a clear day you can see forever. Mm -hmm. That dealt with, whereas I remember having dreams. They're like something like this, like some kind of time travel dream or something, I think. Because okay. I'll have to look that up, but it just popped up into my head. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what the options are here. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I don't know, Jess, do you have a theory on it all, whether it was a dream or really happened? I would like to be able to talk with Barney. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> his take on this because he might be able to tell us based on the things that he did experience as to what was real to him mm -hmm. and what might have been a dream to Nat Ole or Victoria. Yeah. Um, uh, well, maybe he could tell you if you went on vacation with him. <laughs> I think I'll try to book that trip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, from Barney's point of view, you, you had the earthquake in part one, chapter two, and Victoria fainted, and he carries her inside. She wakes up and says, oh, I had these dreams about new in our time and then new back 100,000 years ago. So I, I've, I don't know if Barney could add anything to this uh, from uh, or what he would have thought once they found new skeleton. Well, but that, that's my point. Events like that. Um, uh, some of the events that, that uh, Victoria experienced in her dreams, mm -hmm. such as, let's say, the incident, um, the incident in the uh, garden there with, uh, and finding the spear and the blood spot and eventually finding Newt. Was that real or was that a dream? That's the thing I want to know. Yeah, well... If, if, um, I, I think at this point, at the end of chapter 15, that didn't actually happen because, um, we flash back to the, to a chapter before that, where she's waking up from the faint. Um, so, um, it's just, it's weird. I mean, it's not dramatically unsatisfying. It's a great ending oh, to the book and it, it all works dramatically, but you can interpret it in different ways. Yes. Uh, and, um, and that's part of us having this discussion right here is what was real and what wasn't. Mm -hmm. This is not the first story that you walk out of saying, did that really happen or how much, of, how much that uh, was imagined by the, by the characters? And you're still not sure. Yeah. Uh, here's another idea. Biggie backing up what you were just saying there is Maybe, let's say, part one is the dream, as you mentioned, one part. But now, uh, part two is not necessarily a dream or a flashback, but it's telling what really happened if she's reincarnated as uh, Natal, and that earlier dream is what brought that history to surface, or maybe most of that part two. She didn't really dream, but Burroughs was fully insane. This was a real life, and that part one was the dream she had based because that's a real life. I, am I getting too uh, <laughs> no, I convoluted here? Because yeah, another thing uh -huh. to think about is when Nat Ole wakes up from just a night's sleep at the beginning of chapter two, she remembers the events as Victoria, but only as a dream. So if, yeah. if there's no literal time travel, is there time travel in terms of Victoria and Nat Ole sending their thoughts and memories to each other back and forth through time? That's um, what, yeah, I guess yeah. that's why it's trying to say something along yeah. those lines. Yeah. Which might make sense. That means that part one mostly was a dream, with, uh, but part two is all true history. That um, yeah, Victoria was was 
remembering from her previous life. So yeah, that, I was wondering. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can accept that. Mm-hmm. Based on based on what we know, what we do know. Yeah, but now it would have been much more straightforward if Burroughs had had a chance to make new a regular character. Then the second story would have just picked up with new and Victoria in the present having another adventure in the present. Then it just would have been a case of she was still reincarnated from Nat Ull, but also just a case of uh, spending animation for a hundred thousand years, and then mm-hmm. and then you've woken up, woken up again. So and see that would make sense too for if the real events in part two mm-hmm. and basically the end of the world. You know we've had cataclysmic events happen every you know hundred million years or whatever like that where uh, the mountains collapsed and the sea came in and flooded all of them. So that was the end of the story, but uh, Natu was down in the lowlands where the other people are and died that way. And uh, uh, he died up in the cage, a cage, <laughs> up in the cave at that same time because he was going up there to get the saber tooth its mm-hmm. head to prove his love to her, and he died there. And so that love through the ages psychically uh, or whatever ended yeah. up coming back into her brain a hundred thousand years later so uh um i wonder if you can say there's a theme in this book that uh things like heroism and love and self-sacrifice never die out even if civilizations do very well could be mm-hmm. so and and also he kind of think i think he kind of wrote this on the fly uh-huh. Considering what we talked about before, that his publishers probably want him to do more Tarzan stuff, and yeah. maybe he'd start this story either as a sequel, but decide to wrap it up uh-huh. as as a second part, making it a dream, but not clarifying dream. I know he wasn't writing an episode of Dallas, <laughs> where Bobby is in the shower saying, "Oh, I had a dream," yeah. or that his wife had a dream, or whatever. I I didn't yeah. watch Dallas, and even I know about that. That's that's famous. Yeah, I didn't I didn't either. But I guess that they spent a whole turned out, mm-hmm. isn't it? The whole previous season, a whole year of the show turned out to be a dream when they yeah. opened up the mm-hmm. next year. Yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't watched show either. But yeah, that that was big uh, popular culture. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, though, to, to write off an entire season, I mean, one episode is bad enough. Yeah. To write off our season as a dream is a real cop-out by the writers. That's a lack of imagination and planning. In the yeah. case of Dallas, I know there were some complications there. I realize that. And in the case of this story, I'm certainly not criticizing Burroughs because it's it's being it, it's being left open to our interpretation. In the case of Dallas, I think they just flat out told you it was a dream. Yeah, they uh, did. So, so yeah, uh, Burroughs is being more subtle and letting us make up our own minds on it. So... But I think him, I think them discovering the skeleton and, and the uh, saber tooth up there in some way ties it in. Like if in the Wizard of Oz at the end, mm-hmm. when they're all gathered around Dorothy, oh, we were worried about you, Dorothy. And she goes, but I was here and there and all that. And if they looked down and saw she had ruby slippers on her feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, I- they go up to the cave and they see... Uh, new and in the saber tooth. So somewhere, some somewhere, reality with cosmic mystery crossed. Yes, it does. 
And I and think finding these skeletons, we can say for sure that part two has actually happened, that that's a true history. Yeah. But to, to that point, the previous time when they, when they were in that cave, we didn't see uh, that saber tooth skeleton. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it appeared there since then. Which, which means yeah. either part one was a dream or the timeline was altered somehow. Uh -huh. So um, I don't think you, I think those are the only two ways to explain it. Um, yeah. But if we take, take a part of yeah. thinking on that. Yeah, if we take part one as a dream, then we have an excuse for why Tarzan wasn't up to stuff in part one. So so I kind of lean towards that for that reason. Um, I think it's yeah. Yeah, because so, yeah, she didn't know uh Tarzan that well, so she wouldn't yeah. know all the stuff to to her. He was more mm -hmm. of this civilized man that she saw for the short time. Yeah. So, okay, well, that is our analysis of part two of the uh, Eternal Savage. Um, before we move on, before I forget yet again, there is a particular resource we've been using regularly with this podcast, and it simply never occurred to us that we should be crediting this source every episode, too. And so we're going to begin doing that now. Um, it is the ERB Summary Project, which you can find online where there are chapter-by-chapter -chapter summaries of all of Burroughs' novels. It's a great resource for us when we discuss these novels and we each take turns summarizing a chapter. I think uh, there have been some times where one of us has just directly quoted from these summaries. Um, so this was compiled, let's see, the one for um, uh, the Eternal Lover, the Lover, the summary there was, it was summarized by James D. Bozarth, uh, with an introduction written for it by David Bruce Bozarth. And this was copyrighted in 2001, so they did this quite some time ago now, uh, 20 years ago, but that information is still out there. It includes uh, character lists, um, uh, play, a list of uh, settings, and all of that, as well as these truly valuable and concise summaries of each chapter. Uh, we have been using this on a regular basis, and I want to apologize for the fact that it, we just didn't think that we needed to be publicly crediting this wonderful source um, uh, every time we made use of it. Um, so that's the ERB Summary Project. It is available online, and if you're a Burroughs fan, it's something that's well worth checking out. Um, Absolutely. ERBList.com? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, ERBList.com. So, um, um, so, uh, you know, take a look at it. It's a great uh, Rager Rice Burroughs resource. And once again, our apologies to the to the uh, to the creator of these summaries that we haven't been giving proper credit to it. It wasn't intentional. Um, it was just something, just an oversight. So um, that's that. Um, I just appreciate everybody listening. Uh, please email us at eggersmailbag.gmail.com. Um, if you have any comments or questions or leave a comment on any of the social media or podcast platforms where you will you find this podcast. We love hearing from our fans. Um, and also take a look at our store at cafepress.com slash ERB podcast. We have a lot of great uh, uh, products there. And we have, with the kind permission of Edgar Rice Burroughs Incorporated, this does include actual characters and creatures from the Edgar Rice Burroughs 
universe. Um, I do want to mention specifically Woola, the Callot, who was um, uh, uh, John Carter's companion in the John in the uh, Barsoom novels. You can get yourself matching uh, Woola drinking cups, one of which says uh, Woola always loyal, and the other Woola always adorable. Um, and that is true. He was both a loyal and adorable creature. So uh, we will be highlighting that specific one in the show notes. But if you click on the link that will be provided, you will be able to find all sorts of products, including Tars Tarkus, a Griff, the Triceratops creatures from uh, Tarzan the Terrible, or um, uh, um, any number of other um, Edgar Rice Burroughs characters or, or situations. We will also have some products based on the Eternal Savage available in the store soon. Um, so my name is Tim DeForest. Please check out my blog at Comics Old Time Radio and other cool stuff. You can find links to my books on Amazon there as well. Um, um, Jess, is there anything you want to plug? For the love of all things Edgar Rice Burroughs, Facebook discussion group, where we talk to Edgar Rice Burroughs um, regularly and often, and would love to have you join us. For the love of all things Edgar Rice Burroughs. Mm -hmm. And Scott? I'd just like to say hey to uh, Jim and Harry. Don't miss the next podcast because it'll be the Beasts of Tarzan. Yeah, thank you for remembering that. I'd almost forgotten, so I appreciate it. Um, so that is it for now, and we will be back again with another episode soon. Thank you all. <laughs> <laughs>